Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Take the next 40 odd minutes to get your hands on some tips and tools that will get you working at your best in both your business and your personal life. Hey everybody and welcome to Season 5 on the Mojo Radio Show. It's the program designed to help you get your mojo working in and out of work. Five seasons in and I think it's fair to say we have a stellar lineup of very impressive guests from all walks of life to interview in the year ahead. As always, behind the panel, the chief engineer of the Mojo Radio Show, Robbo, welcome back to season five. Thanks, mate. I can't believe I've spent five seasons in this little studio with you. How was your break, Gaz? No, break was good. Yeah, refreshed, ready to go? Yeah, ready to rock into it. Uh, We're going to start this year with a little bit of business because we haven't had a proper, like, business guest on for a while. But imagine this, right? You start a new business and you make 100 cold calls a day for a whole year before you even get your first business deal. Now, we've spoken about grit and resilience on the show a lot, but we never really focused on how that grit and resilience shows itself in business. Pamela Jabor is the CEO of Total Image Group, and that's what Pamela did to start her business, which we're going to ask her about during the show. Some 10-odd years down the track, and the Total Image Group dress almost a quarter of a billion people in Australia. Some really impressive people that our Australian listeners would have seen, like the uniforms for Woolworths and Dan Murphy's, Pandora, Ford and so on. And they've just become the official uniform supplier for the Australian Winter Olympics team. So this is going to be a story of persistence, getting after it, hanging in there, and a great Aussie dream story. Uh, Pamela, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you. When when people ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? <laughs> Good question. Um, uh, design and supply uniforms, and I say fashion-forward uniform because and automatically people assume it's school uniform, so I'm also very quick to say not school uniform. <laughs> so... What's, what seems to separate you, and you've been super successful with this, but what seems to separate you is you use the word design and even the people you collaborate with, like Peter Morrissey, design seems to be a big thing for you. Has that always been the case? Like, have you always been, as a, as a kid, interested in design or fashion? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I had an obsession with fashion and what to wear and, and always just, you know, flicking through the latest editorial magazines and kind of thinking very carefully about what I wore subject to the occasion. So um, I feel that design is really, really important in, in, you know, every little aspect of your life. When was the first recollection you've got of doing that? Like if you go back through your childhood studying and so on, when when did it occur to you this could be a career? Um, Yeah, well, Dad was in fashion manufacturing, so kind of watched him run and start many businesses. And the last one that he did was manufacturing for major fashion labels across Australia. Um, And I remember just how much more interested I was in that particular business because it was fabrics and shirting and suiting. Um, And and not just that, but my mum, who who has now passed, was just known for her impeccable dress sense. And, you know, going to school every day, I'd be told, oh, your mum looks so great. We love what she's wearing. And I was just always told, um, you know, she dresses for the part, she dresses great and um, kind of grew up looking looking up 
at her and um, really respecting the way people respect and valued her because she put effort in her appearance. Isn't it funny, you know, I was at school uh, just recently and I heard the children talking about one of the girls at school who was in year five. And the comment they made was that this girl always turned up looking fantastic. Like she always turned up, Not, I don't think the word was perfect, but it was just obvious she put a lot of pride into how she turned up at school where her hair was done, have a little little flower in her hair, it was braided on the side, and she was a gorgeous child. Isn't it funny when those standards can start at such a young age? Yeah, definitely, and, and it is that habit. So, you know, and growing up, you know, her hair, mum's hair was always done, nails done, so it was all the little details that I think put it all together. Um, and in uniforms and what I do, it's definitely all about the little details. You know what's just occurred to me hearing you and Pamela speak there, Gary, is you know how much effort I put into my appearance? <laughs> I um I was just wondering maybe there might be a, there might be a chance here for a, a, a sort of sideline for Voodoo Sound to do maybe like some Voodoo Sound tracky pants or t-shirts. <laughs> hmm. Tracky pants. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's whiteboard that. Um, tell me tell me about your dad, Pamela. What what influence did your dad have on your career? Dad was resilient and regardless, we went through a bit of hardship growing up and, you know, we've had some family stuff and illness and, and I just saw him, no matter what, get up every single day and keep going. And for me, it kind of showed the importance of sticking to something you're passionate about, patience, working hard. Um, so all my work ethic definitely stems from dad. He'd wake us up really early in the morning. Um, we were never allowed to sleep in um, and it was just implementing that discipline at such a young age that you know I've now carried on. Tell me about a lesson or a moment that your dad said or did something that to this day was a pivotal moment in your career. Was there a particular thing that comes to mind that your dad taught you or a saying or something he did? Uh, I think mainly discipline. So, you know, just the importance of planning, putting your goals down. We'd sit down every year growing up and kind of talk about what we want out of life, do goal setting as a family, um, review and reflect on our week, on our day. And he was just really transparent with um, some of the issues and hardships he was going through in the business and really wanted us to learn from his experience. And, um, you know, growing up, some, some kids need to touch fire to know it burns, but I was never that person. I kind of really learnt through, I almost feel like what he went through, I went through to an extent. So I came into business feeling like I'd already experienced so much because I remember every single one of his stories um, growing up. It's funny, you know, Pamela, I hadn't expected to go here with the interview, but hearing you talk about that and hearing you talk about your dad, and your dad was super successful, obviously had a big influence now on your success and who knows where it's going to go to, but... Is it fair to say your dad was sort of hard on you? Not in a bad way, but hard on you as in that discipline and resilience. He wanted you to build a backbone because he knew what it would take for you to be successful? Yeah, um, yeah I guess. I think as well I just looked up to my, both my parents so much um, that I, I, I really wanted to make what they, they had put such – they'd made huge sacrifices for us and I saw, you know, some of the pain and suffering they went through. And, and I think that was my biggest driving point. You know, dad worked right up while mum was sick. We lost our home through that time. Like we went through a really, really hard time. Um, and, you know, seeing your, you know, my mum passed from cancer. So seeing dad get up every day, travel, go to work, go to the hospital, go through that as a family, I, I guess that drove me more to just want our family to have a restful time and no more stress. <laughs> <laughs> 
We've we've had a theme through the show for the last four, going into five years now, of resilience and grit. And we've interviewed a number of psychologists and psychoanalysts and people who are sports coaches on mental strength and so it's it's been a real theme and it's it's funny because the shows where we talk about resilience and grit in whatever form or manner seem to have the most resonance with our listeners and the one thing we haven't really talked about is resilience and grit in business and that's what first put us in touch when I saw a story in biz chicks and they said that it took you 12 months and 100 calls just to get your first customer. Take us back to that time. Yeah, so um, starting a business, I was 21 and, you know, obviously I hadn't really worked anywhere else and it was really difficult to kind of go out there and, and win a client. So it was actually 100 phone calls a day um, for, for 12 months. So I sat there having done a business degree and wrote a plan and had a, had a whole strategy in place. And um, I guess I'm extremely competitive. And, you know, that, that was where dad was my biggest cheerleader. He said patience and persistence and, you know, you've got to stick to it. And, and having read a lot of business books and that kind of thing, particularly at a young age, I, I knew it was never easy. So I, I really had faith and passion in what I was doing. And I thought if I just got one client, then um, we would call it the snowball effect. <laughs> that if we just got one, then the rest would follow. Um, and, and I see looking back, our industry is a very slow turn. Um, and not all industries are that way. So what I mean by that is our sales cycle can be 12 months before we close. And obviously now that makes sense looking back, but I really didn't know that. Um, and I was getting really impatient because you're making all these calls. You want someone to give you a go just to get an order. And um, we kept being told, no, maybe next time. No, maybe next time. Um, but I guess that just made me even more determined to prove everybody that I could. What was the dialogue in your mind going through that time? I mean, 100 calls a day... Rejection, rejection. I suspect people are not not even answering calls, ignoring you, giving you crap excuses, not, you know, all that sort of stuff goes on. How, how do you, what was your dialogue in your own mind? I think I, I was just focused on the task. And, and I mean, even in everything that I do at the moment, um, you just focus on the task and, and what needs to be done as opposed to whilst I'm big on forward planning and thinking about the future, when I'm working through something that may be stressful or require patience, for me, my technique is to just focus on what I'm doing. So it wasn't about getting the sale. For me, it was I've committed to make 100 calls a day. I had set a target of particular industries that I wanted to call and I needed them done by a certain point. Um, and I was learning. So I kind of, as I made those calls, I was learning about the different industries, how they worked, what they'd look for. And I was building my business around that knowledge. So I kind of forced myself to be patient because I could see a lot of advantage in making those calls through just the information I was learning. So with, with your background and having gone through that, um, and they talk about this in mental strength coaching, that you can pick a, a moment in your history to go back to a time where you were successful and draw upon that saying, well, I've done this. How do you, how do you today handle that voice of doubt? Because you are still pitching, you're still out there hustling. When that voice of doubt rises in your mind now, where do you go to? What do you say to yourself? <laughs> um, look, it really depends on the day. Uh, some <laughs> days I, I may think I can't do it, but I have no choice. It's, you know, I've got a team of 40. I, I have to lead by example. So even if I think I can't, I 
convinced myself I have no choice um, because that's what needed to be done. And prior to having a team, that was our source of income. You know, our family survives from that. So it, it's kind of this pep talk to myself saying, well, you've got to get it done. You have no choice. Or um, the other side of it is I, I reflect on what I have done and say, you know, yeah, little things. Like I've never ever liked public speaking or doing radio and, and, and just looking back and saying, okay, well, I've done it once, I can do it again. Um, and just talking to myself that way. <laughs> that, that's a really interesting line that I just wrote down. I have no choice because yeah. it just seems that the psychologists talk about the fact that generally we will always find a reason. So we go for that, for the voice of justification not to get out of bed early, not to make that extra call, to, to stop it, to, to get out of work early, to take a longer lunch, to eat the wrong foods. Is that an actual default saying that you put in front of all that justification not to do it by saying, I have no choice to not give yourself a choice? Like, is that a thing? Yeah, I, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm just a disciplined person. And if I say I'm going to do something, I always do it. So if there's Something that I don't want to do, if I've committed to it, my argument to myself is, well, you've committed, you can't pull out, you have to do it, you have no choice. Um, so, and that's a lot of how I've made progress, putting myself in situations that are really make me uncomfortable, um, but saying, okay, now you've committed, <laughs> you have no choice, you have to see it through, and kind of pushing myself through it that way. That's gold. That's gold, Pamela. I really like that. Thank There's you. There's no out. There's just no out. Um, <laughs> no option. If we go, if we go back through your time early in your career, what was the biggest mistake you made that you reflect upon now? Oh, there were so many. I, I, I would have to say early on it would have to be staff. Um, I was 21. We grew post the first slow 12 months. We scaled pretty quickly and I had to hire um, in a hurry to be able to keep up with the work and the demand and, you know, I – was I'd never recruited before, wasn't sure what to look for. Um, we were on a tight budget as well, so we couldn't afford huge salaries. And, uh, you know, I think I made a lot of hiring mistakes. We had a really high turnover um, of staff in the first two, three years of the business. And that has a major impact, particularly when there's not systems and processes and you're relying a lot on people to get things done. Um, and when they leave, you kind of almost take a huge step back. Um, and start that process again. So I, I would have to say um, that would have been probably the biggest thing. So with the the work you do now, you are winning some amazing accounts. You are making a lot of the corporate world look great. In your mind, how do you explain to people the correlation between performance and the way they dress? Um, look, and, and that's a great question. We've spent a huge amount of time this year really trying to summarise what we do um, very simply. And we came up with fashion-forward, fit-for-purpose uniform. Um, and just in that, for us, we, we really have become uniform consultants. So we've worked with a range of clients across a range of industries, be it whether they have 20 staff, be it whether they have 100,000 staff across the country. And we've seen with them what works, what doesn't work. Um, and we also understand the importance of brands and people feeling really good about what they wear. So we kind of combine all of that um, and come up with a, a consultancy program around what, what we think their staff should wear and how that uniform program should work. So what's the most you know, the easiest and most efficient way for them to order uniform um, so that it's no no longer a pain point. I think most businesses hear uniforms and think, ah, keep me away. Everyone has an opinion. We don't want to handle it. Um, and our thing is we want to take all that away. 
and handle all of it. So what makes a great uniform then? Because I know companies, even this in the last number of months that I've spoken to who are going through a brand refresh or they finally get getting their culture together and they are doing an audit of what they need to refresh for the future, even now. And invariably there'll be people in the organisation at whatever level and there'll be a uniform or let's just say a shirt discussion. What what do people need to think about, Pamela, in order to... Because I've heard you talk about the fact that when people feel good, they perform differently and or better. H- how does all that work? What's, what's your experience with that? Look, I, I think there's a number of things. Um, and, and I would say the most important thing is understanding your team. So knowing your demographic, knowing the age bracket, um, knowing the different shapes and sizes, you know, be it a team of 20 or a larger team. There are so many options to ensure that you cater for all. Um, not There's never a one-size-fits-all approach. And I think if you and, you... and you'll never be able to please everybody. But if, if you do cater to the majority and communicate it that way, that, you know, we, we understand our team, we know the different dynamics, we know it might be hot and you're in far north Queensland, this is why we've chosen this, um, then you're kind of putting a stop to the negativity that may arise from that. And I think the most important one is... Pricing. A lot of people may take the cheap option and, and you don't need to spend extortionate amounts, but cheap fabric, cheap uniform, cheap fit. And, and it really just does the brand and your team no justice. It, it'll wash and wear terribly. It'll look unkept. Um, so spending a little bit more um, and not doing it on a budget to me also makes the biggest difference. So tracky decks are out then? Tracky decks are out. Yes, out, yes. I've got to get out of my PJs, Gaz. What's going on? <laughs> Unless you're in a gym, of course. <laughs> you just mentioned uh, new generations and knowing who you are fitting. Is there a is there a change in mindset with the new generations that are coming through? In, and that's not let's not frame them into the names people give them, but there is no, obviously a different attitude as generations come through. And right now, it, it just seems to me that being an individual. Not be not conforming. How's that affecting the business right now? Um, it, it really isn't. I, I think on the counter of that, there's also this huge thing on um, you know the new workforce wanting to have a purpose, wanting to know their why, wanting to understand the brand um, and the brand values of who they work for. And there's no better way to do that than through what they wear. And I think it just comes down to not just saying, "Well, here's one shirt." and you have to wear it. It's we've picked this because this represents us this way. And we also understand you and your, and you know, it, it is all about just that communication piece and, and making people feel heard and considered. There's a lot for people to think about in that. Cause I, I do think yeah. it comes down to just, well, who does shirts, who does this, who does dresses, who does tops, how much they're going to cost, bang a logo on it, stick them out there. Tell me about the the Olympic bid. Yeah, look, a lot of pressure. Um, But I think what we do really well is work with major brands and tell the story of that brand through a uniform. Um, And traditionally with the Olympics, they've gone with major fashion labels. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but fashion labels are all about telling their story. What is their brand? Um, And the designs they choose and the styles they choose and the fabrics they choose are all about their brand. Um, So I think... What, what set us apart was that we really focused on 
what it was about. You know, at the end of the day, it's the Australian Olympic team. It's not about Total Image Group. It's not about our company and our brand. It's about Australia and and these athletes and making sure we design something that really represents them um, and is all about them. And, and we went in with that. Um, and that's what we do. You know, it's always about who we work with, our brand partners. And we did nothing differently there. Um, but I think because we're uniforms and we're about working with different shapes and sizes, you know, we can't have a specific target market where we're, we're catering to size 6 to 14 ladies. We need to be able to work with size 6 to size 30 um, and same with men. We need to be able to fit all um, and make everybody feel comfortable. And it's no different with our athletes. They are all different in shape and size. So you pitched for the Olympic team. You won the bid. It's a wonderful thing. And say next week you pitch for another big event and you don't get it. You're a leader. You'll look to to lead 40 people at this point in your team. When you when things don't go your way and you don't win a pitch, how do you personally handle rejection for yourself and your team? Oh, and look, we get a lot of that. Um, you know, it's a really competitive industry. And whilst when we first started, it wasn't as competitive and our close rate was a lot higher, we, you know, we don't win every pitch. So for us, it's, you know, just being persistent and on to the next one. We gave it all we could. We obviously reflect on what we could have done better. We always ask for feedback because that's really important. And we want to understand, you know, is it pricing? Did we not present something particularly well? Was our product not on point? And then take that feedback on and better it next time. So you've got a number of businesses you oversee and you've got a manufacturing plant in China. You you do sound like a busy person. You do sound like you've got a lot going on. What's Pamela's way of managing your day? Like how, how do you go from the minute you wake up till bed? Do you have systems and processes? Are there, there specific things you do as rituals or routines? Like how do you, how do you manage to stay on top of all this? And obviously you're getting great success. Thank you. What's your approach to the day? Good question. And, you know, you don't always stay on top of it. And, and you know, there are times when I think, oh, my gosh, I've got to hit pause. But my, my biggest thing is I, I'm an early riser. Um, so I'm up really early and I don't get to the office before nine. Um, so, and I live pretty close to the office. So my mornings are my ritual. I, you know, get up, I have a cup of tea. I generally have the house to myself. I, I have a little veggie patch. I spend time outside. If I exercise, it's in the morning. Um, and then I'll make myself breakfast, read emails, get in the zone for the day, have a coffee, um, and get to the office ready. Because uh, from the minute I get to the office, I'm never at my desk. I'm generally in meetings from the minute I walk in to the minute I leave. So that time in the morning for me is just really, really important. Um, and my assistant and team know that I generally won't be available for meetings before 10 a.m. Um, that, that morning time is just critical. That's good. That's real good. It's kind of surprising that just one coffee sets you up for the day, though. I'm a two or three coffee man, at least. Oh, that's my morning coffee. That sets me up. But, yes, by the time I get to the office, my second one is on my desk. Yeah, that's a rookie. That's a rookie. That's the standing order. Yeah. Pamela, with with design being part of a big such a big part of you as an individual and then obviously the business, the business success, and you are – mixing and hanging out with some of the great Australian fashion designers. What's your own creative process? Because we often see 
the Karl Lagerfelds and these great designers of the world and you see them sitting there adorned in their jewellery and they're sketching and drawing and putting it up on the wall. And Do you have a creative process? I love the fact you've got your morning ritual and I think that's just a great takeout for all of us. Where Where is your deep thinking? Where is your pondering time, your design time? Do you have it? Like, does it fit in your day or your week? Um, I, I'm always, I, I, I just, I, I love, um, it's life, travel, um, weekends. I, you know, I used to work um, most Saturdays. Now I switch off on the weekends, but you never switch off. So I read a, a lot of books. I'm, you know, reading biographies. I just love hearing other people's stories. I'll read magazines. I kind of listen to all types of music outside, adventure, explore, and I get all my inspiration that way. And if I'm working on a particular brand, um, I go full full zone into that brand. You know, what are they about? Are they monochrome? Are they, you know, modern? Are they traditional? And then everything I do for the next two weeks while I'm designing kind of I, I start to think about those things and, and it comes together. Are you a sketcher? Are you a, a journaler? No. Do you write? <laughs> no. no? I, I write. I write, yes. I do write. And I enjoy sketching but not not sketching designs. I, that's more like a hobby that I would not show anybody because I'm not very good at it. <laughs> but I like writing, definitely. Um, and, you know, I do have plans one day to write a book. I, I love writing. Yeah, right. Now, you said, and I, I don't recall where I heard or saw you write this, but you had a saying, you said, be a flamingo in a flock of pigeons. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. What's that mean? Uh, it means to stand out through through your outfit and, and, and making that, that extra effort because not everybody does and it just makes that difference, you know. I started at such a young age and I just always made sure I dressed the part, I put a lot of effort into where I was going and what I was wearing was appropriate. And I feel that as a result, I won a lot more business. I stood out from those that perhaps didn't put that effort. Um, And so, you know, it's always, not everybody makes effort or or thinks about what they're doing each and every day. Um, And so that is where that comes from. (laughs) And I think it's great, Pamela. I don't understand why more leaders don't think about it because there'd be very few podcasts that go by where someone talks about Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook or Steve Jobs from formerly from Apple, where they don't talk about the fact that they wore black polos and they wore the same jeans and it was one less thing to have to worry about or Donald Trump was very big on his suits and how he presents himself. Obama was the same. Yet I've got to say I very rarely come across leaders who have any sort of brand integrity or I, and I'm even questioning whether they have any thought about they want to present nicely. But whether it presents for their brand, I think it's such an interesting point that people could take away. But they don't. People don't seem to use their their look as part of their right their brand identity individually. No, and I have to agree. And and I've done quite a bit of business conferences and been out there as a result of the Olympics this year. And I and a lot of fellow entrepreneurs or business owners have come up to me and said, "Wow, we never thought about how important it is around what you wear." Can you help us create our signature look? And and it's really funny that people are now starting to think about it. And and that's what I'm really passionate about. And and I love that because it is so important. Um, and you do have a signature look. And if you if if you create that, that does become your brand. What are some of the big mistakes that you've made that you look upon now and have taken learnings from? Like when you look back and you go, here's something I had a crack at, but you've taken an enormous lesson that's changed the trajectory of your world. 
What were those big? What, what is what is a big mistake you made? A lot of little mistakes. I can't seem to think of a big one. Um, I probably wasn't as across the finances as I should have been early on. Um, so you know, not not watching our debtors and what people owed. I was very trusting, um, and I learned very quickly that you can't be. Um, so numbers and finance were never my passion, and I don't think they are for a lot of people. So I kind of just used to brush it under the carpet and assume that it would be fine, and just focus on what I loved and. In a business, you can't do that. You have to take it all, yeah. Say there is somebody listening to the show, hopefully a couple of people, but say there's somebody listening to the show and they go, I get all this, and they've either got a business with 20 staff or a business with 100 staff, or they are a self-employed person who is the brand, so they're quite happy doing their own thing. What would you say is the most important question that that brand owner should ask themselves about the way they present in terms of their look. So whether we call it a uniform or how they dress, if there was one question that you would say before anything else, here's the first question to ask, what would it be? Um, who do you work with and, and is how you dressed appropriate? So really understanding who you deal with, you know, um, going into a car dealership, being approached by a car salesman, is the customer walking into the car yard in a suit? And therefore, if the car salesman is in a suit, it kind of creates... It's just all relevant in terms of what you do and who you work with um, and whether you appeal to them and make them feel comfortable by how you're dressed or whether you look overly expensive or not approachable or, you know, just dressing appropriately for where you're going and who you're dealing with. Is minimalism a big part of what you think about now? And the reason I say that is that... I have an office at WeWork and WeWork is very clean. The way they present is very simplistic. It's very, it's in line with minimalism and simplicity, but it's, it's cool. And I walk into an Apple store, it's very minimalist, very simplistic, but it's cool. And a lot of seemingly retailers and or progressive companies are, they seem to be going the way of being simple and minimalist. Are you seeing that as a trend that we should consider? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I would say classic yet contemporary. So, you know, making sure what you're wearing isn't over the top. Um, it's something that can be worn repeatedly and, you know, because it doesn't stand out and, and it's just, yet yeah, it's still contemporary, modern fits, um, but always classic for me because you can look back at that in years and still feel that, you know, it was appropriate and you're not covering your face thinking, oh, my God, what was I wearing? <laughs> so you've, you've seen a lot of success business is going good. If I talk about Pamela as the leader, as the individual, what's something that you want that you don't have yet? Uh, I've got a lot of goals. Um, Something that I want that I don't have. We don't do uniforms for an airline or a bank. (laughs) And I feel like they are major. So that is something that I would really love the opportunity to do, to redesign. A lot of our contracts, we, I, whilst I love formal wear, a lot of our contracts are kind of semi-formal. So um, we don't have a huge contract where we've designed a huge range of suiting. The Olympics was one, um, but I guess on a national scale with, yeah, in the uniform industry, which is why I say airline or bank. <laughs> I, could, I can tell you now you could get into Qantas because my brother's a Qantas captain and they hate their uniform, all the pilots. There you go. There you go. I'd so love that. That's get in, high on the list. <laughs> get in through the back door, go talk to the pilots yeah. and tell them to start stamping okay. their feet. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's yeah. funny that panel because you sit on a flight and I remember it would have been some time ago 
when an airline, hello our friends at Qantas, yep. when an, an airline uh, put out their new uniforms and they showed on the runway and showed yep. on the aircraft. And I honestly sat there in economy in 12D going, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> They're ghastly. And you go, how can they do that? And let alone the people saying, here's your uniform, you are going to wear it. And I think the stuff you're talking about here, regardless of who it is, to put yourself in the shoes of, number one, your customers and the, the perception you're giving, but number two, do the people have pride, like a staff member yeah. going, we hate them? Well, imagine how that's impacting going to work each day, knowing that every day, five, six, seven days, we're going to put on this outfit and go out there and represent. That must yeah. be a big part of what you do is putting yourself in the shoes of the person who's got to wear it going, do I feel do I feel cool? Do I feel good? I definitely agree. And it's very much like being a personal stylist, but for a whole group of people. So trying to understand the different personalities and shapes and, and just trying to work through something, which is really tricky, but um, is what we do. Well, this has been interesting. I We haven't really spoken to anybody about business resilience, but I think... The determination that obviously was passed on from your parents that you took into your first year of business and the tenacity that you still have today and the desire to keep achieving, it's um, its really great, Pamela. We really haven't been down that lane way before. So uh, good luck with it all. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real joy talking to you. Uh, it's been, there's been loads of gold in it. And um, we look forward to, I look, I look forward to boarding an aircraft, look up going, yeah, that's Pamela's work right there. there I, can, I can see Pamela right there. I can see oh, that. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, Thanks so much. You would know if I'd made the designs, mate, because the pilots would be walking in in tracky dacks and T-shirts. Oh. That's what I was thinking. I'm looking for that. I get on board this, you know, swish aircraft, come out of the lounge, get on board and go, tracky dacks. And there's something you don't normally see the crew wearing. They're relaxed. They're comfortable. There you go. That's what it says about them. And Relax. the guy's loading the cargo. You look out the window and there's a guy loading your bag on. He's wearing a Divinals T-shirt from 1975. And it's a pair too small of for him. It's more like a boob tube. Yeah, okay. There you going, all right? Have a good flight, buddy. And still cap thongs. <laughs> See what you've walked into, Pamela. Um, thank you for your time, Pamela. It's been an absolute delight speaking with you. And uh, if you need any design advice, to... give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. No, thank you so much. The Mojo Radio Show. So, since we recorded that interview a while back, Pamela's actually sent me a mock-up of the Voodoo Sound uniform. Do you like the stylish tracky dacks and the? The body hugging T-shirts. Does it come in extra, extra, it extra comes large? In extra, extra, extra small for an extra, extra, extra large body. Actually, no. Actually, it's interesting. Here in the label, it says T. I think it's for tent. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a bigger size CT circus tent. <laughs> The Barnum. That's called the Barnum. The Barnum. The three ring circus. <laughs> it's called the Barnum, the three ring. Robbo's 20 cents worth. Just before we finish the show, I found a bit of an interesting thing on LinkedIn just the other day. A company called ASB has come up with a new playing surface for both indoor and outdoor chords. But the things, the special thing about this is it's actually two layers of glass and sandwiched in between that glass is some LED lighting, which in itself doesn't sound that creative, but what it actually means is that at the flick of a switch, they can change the layout of courts from, say, tennis to badminton to, and then from badminton to basketball or back to tennis. They've already started rolling this thing out in the States, and I just thought it was a really great idea. It's a fantastic idea because you go to any school and walk into their sports hall and you look at the floor mm. and it is just a maze of white lines. 
Mm. Yes, yes. <laughs> there are poles up for nets and there's this and that and then you've got to go outside and there's a maze of lines and you're generally doing everything on the tennis court, which is already marked up for tennis. Mm. Uh, this is someone who's looked at an obvious problem that's probably decades old and applied new technology and the mm. same glass technology that's applied to telephones and iPads and soon to be whiteboards in boardrooms is now being put on the floor. So it's a fabulous, uh, a fabulous idea. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. The downside is going to be that whenever you disrupt a category like this, is getting through the naysayers. Yeah. Typically, whenever you find an idea like this, which is complete disruption, the challenge they're going to have is getting through the naysayers. The people who just don't like new ideas, the people who don't want to see things change, the, th the people who like things complicated and messy, but that's how we've always done it. Mm. So I think this is wonderful, but, and I hope that they've got the persistence and grit to be able to get through the naysayers because I could see schools and sporting associations and YMCAs and athletics clubs, uh, particularly athletics for tracks and stuff. It's just fantastic. Mm. I just I thought listening to you say that, a, court, a thought just occurred to me as well is I wonder whether the technology will allow down the track for, you know, like seeing where a ball bounced. So if John McEnroe is, is disputing that the ball was in or out, whether there's some sort of technology that they could show exactly where that ball bounced and go, well, Mr McEnroe, you're right, Mr McEnroe, you're wrong. That'd make it really interesting too, wouldn't it? Probably. I guess they just put a TV camera in it. Like they already do that. It's just that it's shown on a big screen as opposed to shown on the court. So I don't know, I'm not very technically minded, but one would think that would be an obvious next step for some bright young guru, digital nomad, millennial legend. Well, to the point that you're about to make in our next segment, uh, maybe I should get on to uh, ASB now. Well, you got a couple of, uh, couple of bucks to invest, have you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I could throw them the idea. It's funny. There is a quote that we're going to take ourselves out on from this show today. And there's two things There's two things to bring up here. Number one is a quote from Stephen Tyler, pop quiz hotshot, Stephen Tyler, lead singer of? Aerosmith. He said, the things that come to those who wait... Maybe the things left by those who got there first. Oh, that's deep. That's uh, obviously in a moment of sobriety for, <laughs> for Steve there. Or not. <laughs> or not. Yeah. So that's the first thing, which goes back to that idea that when we hear these things, we need to go to our own business and take this idea and go, well, what do we currently do in three different places we could do in one place? Where are things complicated that we could simplify where could we use a piece of glass? What's currently being used on another surface that we could use on glass and combine a number of things with it? And I met a guy recently who works for Inland Digital and in his boardroom he had a glass whiteboard. Now I've been banging on about whiteboards and how there's been no changes since I've been in the speaking circuit for 20 odd years. This is digital so that when we're in the studio, we could be writing things on a whiteboard and AP can be somewhere in the world doing his voice work and he can hit on a code and he can see the whiteboard on his screen of whatever he's using at the time. Wow. And I think technologies like that are the value of this show, but you don't want to wait until everyone's doing it. 
Like get it, get curious and start checking these things out and get in touch with these guys at ASB Glass Floor and just see what's going on and see what the version of that is in your category. And the other thing that I love about Aerosmith and the song we're going to go out with today is imagine you're on the first floor of a building and you hit the 13th floor. Generally, you know what's there because you looked at the directory and you know what's on the 13th floor. Isn't it surprising how many people will rip into their year and have no idea what's going to happen at the end of the year? And I reckon that setting up for a year a month, a day is like getting in an elevator, getting the ground floor and you look at whatever floor you're going to and you hit that because you have an expectation of what's going to be there when the doors open. I would say to everybody listening today that pick a floor, what's that look like? Pick a period of time down the track, get an elevator, but tell me what's, what's your life going to look like? What's your work, your relationship, your health, your wellness? sex life what's it going to look like when the elevator's open on the 13th floor and push the button and get after it so on that Aerosmith loving an elevator we're out
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.